I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, welcome back. Just before the start of this episode, I wanted to come and just apologise for the quality of my audio during my conversation with Sam. It seems the computer was picking up an external microphone rather than my normal podcasting microphone, so it sounds slightly different than it does normally. You can still hear me okay, it just doesn't quite have the quality that we try and strive for here at Education on Fire. So I hope this doesn't interrupt your listening too much, but just wanted to come and acknowledge that and please enjoy the great conversation that I have with Sam Kendall. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as always. If you're enjoying the show, please do share it with a colleague, a friend, a family member. Basically, we're all a community supporting children. So wherever the child fits into your life, you're an integral part of of making that environment and that learning process a key aspect in terms of of their progress and and enjoying their present moment, but also obviously setting the, the scene for the future. Now, the future is something which is incredibly important for this particular episode because I'm talking to Sam Kendall from the Eden Project. Now, Sam leads all of Eden's work with schools, young people and their teachers and has done so since 2010. Eden schools teams design and deliver programmes and projects for young people, children and offer training, consultancy and resources to schools towards Eden's vision of children and young people who are motivated and equipped to create and flourish in a better future in which all living things thrive within planetary boundaries. Sam has been a member of Eden's education team since the project opened in 2001, establishing Eden as a must-go school visit destination for schools across the UK and maintaining a focus of high-quality teaching and learning across Eden's learning programmes at Eden and online. Following a first degree in natural science at Jesus College Cambridge, she qualified as a primary school teacher with science specialism in 1997 and worked with schools in Bristol, Cornwall, Karachi and South Africa prior to joining Eden in 2001. In 2021, she completed an MSc in Environment and Human Health. So I really hope you enjoy this sort of behind-the-scenes look at everything that's going on with the Eden Project. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. We do have such a diverse um, number of conversations here, but I think this is one which people will find so interesting because they'll have either been to the Eden Project or they will have heard about it or they'll certainly want to be involved. So, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, I'm always happy to talk talk things Eden Project. Fantastic. So let's just start in terms of what's your role and I know you've been involved for many many years to so sort of take us through that sort of journey as well. So yeah my, my job title is Head of School Learning um, at the Eden Project. Uh, so I look after all of Eden Project's work with young people, with schools, with teachers, um, focused around Eden Project's um, global mission, which is about working with nature to respond to the planetary emergency. And um, 
I have indeed. Uh, in fact, I'm sporting my 20-year Eden employee badge on my lanyard, even as we speak. So yes, I have been doing, doing or I've been here for a really long time. I've been uh, head of for about 10 years. Uh, I started as a volunteer at the Eden Project. Um, and I'd say I kept turning up until they gave me a job when I worked as an education officer. Um, but my background is in primary education. So I'm, I'm a primary teacher by training. Uh, and I'd worked in schools in um, Bristol and overseas and in Cornwall as well before um, Eden Project was my, my ticket to stay back in Cornwall where I was brought up. I think for me, there's something about the longevity of, of the sort of thing you're talking about, because I think the Eden Project for me as an outsider always feels incredibly warm. It feels incredibly supportive. It feels like the the, the the best of everything that we have to offer in terms of sort of the world and our knowledge and being able to share that with people to make the big difference in the world. And I think to sort of hear your enthusiasm and like you say, being there for so long, it sounds like that's exactly what it's like from the inside out as well. Well, I'm really delighted that that's how you feel about it. Um, I mean, let's be honest, it's an organisation with, you know, organisational things like any other organisation. Um, but, you know, I'm still as passionate about that mission as I was when I started 20 years ago. Um, and the opportunities to do, you know, things that in um, a career in school might have been a kind of once or twice in a career opportunity just seem to come around with a bit more regularity here. And I also really love working with um, people who've got a really different skill set than I do as well. So, I mean, I've got a team of uh, mostly uh, teachers. So, you know, we, we've got that shared, shared skill set within our team. But a lot of our work is about kind of capturing stories and narratives and things that the Eden Project does by other experts, by horticulturalists, by sustainability experts, by chefs, by retail people. Um, you know, they know a bunch of stuff about stuff that we don't know about. Um, and I love kind of being that navigator of those stories of the Eden Project. And I very much regard um, the work of my team is about translating those stories and those narratives to our audience of children and young people in schools. So let's dive into that then in terms of being able to, to share that information. I guess that looks slightly different now than it did when, when you first started. So I guess the first distinction is the kind of the in-person as opposed to the virtual. Um, yeah. So there are there's kind of three main ways that we interact with our kind of education audience, if you like. And um, still the most significant for us and um, maybe the most fun um, is through a program of educational school visits. So um, pre-pandemic, we were welcoming upwards of 50,000 children and young people here a year. Um, that obviously went to pretty much nothing for a while. And we're now uh, rapidly building back up those numbers. So we've got a whole um, array of learning programs we call them workshops which link to Eden Project's mission the unique opportunities for learning that we've got here and of course the national curriculum as well 
we think there's a sweet spot in our programs where we're responding to all three of those drivers. So that's the work here. Um, then we also have got a whole set of projects, if you like, uh, which are often place-based, located in a particular place or uh, working with a particular audience. Um, so one kind of grand scale example of that would be we are part of um, one of a number of partners working on a project called the Morecambe Bay Curriculum, which for which uh, the new Eden project in Morecambe has been a catalyst for a load of work around developing a place-based sustainability focused curriculum fit for the 21st century in that place. Um, and then, of course, we have a digital offer as well. Um, some of that is young person focused, so we offer kind of class lessons effectively um, online led by one of our education officers based here. And we also have switched to running some of our teacher training online as well. So tomorrow um, we have got the next uh, of our leaders in outdoor learning courses started, which is kind of it, it weirdly works because it's completely focused on outdoor curriculum linked learning outdoors. So very kind of practical and experiential in terms of what we're expecting participants participants to end up being able to do, but we're actually delivering it online over the the a four week program. And um, and in terms of the people that are getting involved in these types of things, um, certainly in terms of that training we were just talking about, is it people specifically education focused? Is it um, that, let's like, say, that sort of sweet spot of maybe the education and the environment and sustainability and, and all that? What's their sort of those sorts of backgrounds and those interests? So. For those courses, it tends to be very much people working in mainstream who feel like they want something a little bit different, um, a little bit more joined up, a little bit more nature focused um, than, than what they feel they're currently doing. And that's kind of our, as I say, we have, um, I've got a team of teachers and so our expertise is really working within that mainstream model and looking at how you can bend and flex and adapt to um, deliver the things that you have to do um, in a in a maintained school um, but do it in a way that also speaks to um, the the global planetary emergency and the needs of the young people in front of you to connect with nature and connect to that wider world. So yeah, we're not like a full alternative model. For us, it's about we want to reach the broadest possible audience of children and young people and teachers. So for us, for the Eden Project, the way we do that is through working within the mainstream. And Tell us the difference between if 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 we were if I was bringing a class into into the Eden project to do a sort of a workshop on site, what does that look like in terms of what experience that they have in in that scenario? Okay, so um, our our workshops are um, sweet little two hour packages of learning, and the the joy of them for us is we get to like hone the perfect lesson because we we have a menu of workshops that we offer we don't kind of write bespoke ones all the time so you get to kind of 
craft these absolutely kind of immaculate little bits of learning because we get to try them out on lots of children. Um, and they are, we've got our kind of learning toolkit, which is Eden's interpretation of, you know, what's out there in terms of the research and our own experience of what works in this field of environmental education and sustainability focused and nature-based learning. Um, and so the authentic, the real, the hands-on is at the heart of the thing. So it's all about getting the children and young people out into our amazing learning environment. We've got a rainforest biome and a Mediterranean biome set in these glorious outdoor Cornish gardens here at Eden Project in Cornwall. Um, and so, and then there's a kind of top and tail, which basically frames that engagement with what's out there in our collection, if you like. Um, we talk about using story inspired learning. So we use um, hooks and challenges to learning, um, which work within that really short time scale. Because of course, what we have got is, you know, the the flip side of being teachers in a school is that we meet a huge number of children. We've got this incredible classroom, but we meet them for only a really tiny amount of time. So the programs that we design have to be kind of bulletproof that we know that they're going to work for, you know, 90% of a typical year four class, for example. And I'm just thinking in terms of the people that are coming to you, I mean, are they literally traveling from across the country? I mean, I guess it's like to say, if it's a two hour workshop, then there's time within the day to travel and get there and, and get back or sort of a bit more further afield. Yeah, I, I, I think um, so in purely practical terms for a day trip, it's kind of Penzance to Exeter because there's that sort of, um, you know, you don't really want to spend more time on the bus than you spend at the attraction. Um, but lots of schools choose Cornwall for their residential. Um, so we see, you know, a big kind of bulge of, of school visits during the summer term from people who are down here on their residential. And also Cornwall is... Um, although not particularly well connected to the rest of the UK, is really well connected to the continent as well. So we see a lot of um, French visitors, um, lots of people travel because there's a Plymouth to Brittany and a Plymouth to Spain ferry as well. So um, we see quite good numbers of overseas groups who have now, um, they got a bit stymied by partly the pandemic, but also Brexit and the associated passport changes. So we're just starting to see those groups come back on stream now. And for those people who can't travel in person, and you said, you, you know, you've got these the digital workshops and the ability to do it virtually. How does how does that work? Is it a completely different animal that you've developed for that medium? Or do you sort of bring in the things that you were doing in person and adapting them as best you can? We really try to do the latter within the constraints of being online. So that's why we work with class size groups so we can still have that element of interactivity. Um, we've got four, just at the moment, four different online workshops which pick up on kind of key Eden themes so around rainforest, around climate change and around sustainability through food. Um, and the teachers get a um, 
a little pack of resources and things sent beforehand so that the children could have actually got some kind of practical there's some group work elements within the course of those sessions so it's not just you know us telling them stuff through the medium of the internet which isn't the sort of teaching and learning that we are interested in in any way at all um, and then we also we found that that works really well with older students and with university students using that kind of model of challenge based learning with the Eden projects kind of often our sort of practical operational um, things as a stimulus. So I'll give you a for example, uh, we worked, we worked with numerous bunch of undergraduates, but this particular one was a group of textile students whose um, module assignment was based on a set of criteria about producing a sustainable product, for example, that would be suitable for sale in the retail shop. And so the beginning of that module, we launched um, online with them, uh, meeting me and members from our retail team talking about the Eden Project's ethics and principles and procurement policy, what sells in our shop, what doesn't. The students then did the work in their place in their college um, and then presented back to us their um, final pieces of work which had been to a degree inspired and informed by the Eden project and we find that that model works really really well kind of versions of enterprise challenges but using I guess Eden's particular uh, sustainability focused business model to to send that work down a particular route and I guess because the work that you're doing and what you're able to talk about it's not age related at all is it like say you know from primary all the way through to to those um older students i guess is there sort of a split in in, in that sort of demographic in terms of the numbers or or um or how does that look from your perspective um so i mean the stories we obviously pick and choose uh depending on the audience but there are so many stories so much learning you know opportunity here at eden that we can always find a way into those kind of sustainability and, and nature stories. Um, in terms of volume, uh, it's probably not that surprising that the most children we see are older primary age children. You know, there's just that kind of fine tradition of upper primary school visits. Um, but we do see, you know, right through, so last Friday and Monday, we had a local school here who are um, doing a bit of their geography coursework. We've developed a, basically a, an Eden experience, which covers a particular module of, uh, I think it's the AQA Ge Geography GCSE syllabus. So we had a bunch of GCSE students here um, last week doing their thing as well. So yeah, and um, we've got students, university students here today as well. We've got Cambridge university students are in today next week we've got kingston university and lancaster university coming on site um so yeah we we're a, we're a broad church and we also um have got a school on site at the moment as well um who are a free school who are filling up from the bottom so they have just got a reception and a preschool at the moment and they were here last week as well doing some um filming for some resources we've produced for the coronation big lunch fantastic really really amazing um i'm interested also in terms of of the pupils and sort of the younger people that, that you're sort of interacting with 
what's their perception of sustainability and and the issues that the planet's actually um, facing in the minute? Is it kind of, I don't know, an excitement that you're able to sort of share with this is possible and we can make a difference? Or is there sort of a fear factor that's going in because of the amount of sort of things they're hearing online and on the news and, and that kind of thing? I think there's definitely you know that that sense of um concern and anxiety is definitely there uh there's an amount of crossness of just like grown-ups what have you been doing how was how has this happened on your watch um and as with all of us i think there's an amount of um a, a slight sense of the mismatch between the scale of the problem and what how one feels one can take action as an individual. Um, and that mismatch is obviously even greater if you're a child. You know, it's not it's not on you. You didn't create the problem. Um, but also, you know, you don't choose how you travel necessarily or what you eat or, you know. So there's lots of those kind of uh kind of go-to memes of like oh this is what you should do people about the planetary emergency that i aren't even that relevant for children because they don't get to make those decisions their parents do um so and there's a couple of ways that we we find into that one is just about really focusing on our power as a collective really um and that you know yes you are an individual and one person's actions aren't going to make a huge impact, except that, you know, there are seven stroke eight billion of us and eight billion of us doing a tiny thing can have an impact. Um, and also just thinking about that whole, you know, how people as social beings that we are constantly checking each other out to see what the norms are. And so that's the other way that we talk to children about having, you know, increasing their power, if you like, increasing their agency is that if you make a decision to, I don't know, turn the light off or eat that thing and not that thing or whatever that thing is, other people will be noticing and those things will slowly become normal. And then we also talk lots about, you know, the fact that you're not just a kind of isolated human being you're part of a family you're part of a class you might be part of a scout group or a church group you know there are loads of spheres of influence that we have and that actually um that sense of social connection is you know the research shows is really really important in terms of children and young people feeling um not totally freaked out and able to make a difference so that's always kind of our starting premise is always about how together we can do something that will have an impact. And and Eden works really brilliantly as a symbol for that as well. You know, we're in this amazing, beautiful global garden in Cornwall in what was a big, white, wet, muddy hole in the ground 25 years ago. And, you know, if ever there was a kind of tangible symbol of what a bunch of well-meaning people can do when they set their minds to something you know that we don't always leave things worse than we found them um well we're standing in it you know and it it it's a really powerful symbol for that and and young people totally get that as well 
And the tangible thing, I mean, I was just thinking exactly along those same sorts of lines is the fact that we can talk about these things in a class, we can sort of see a sort of a global story and that kind of thing. But there's something about the physicality of what Eden is. There's there's the fact that, let's say, you've got all these people that are involved in it and that a difference has been made, is being made. And like I say, just the physicalness of it is there now, which wasn't there before. And I think there's something about the reality of life and that perception of change, but then the reality of seeing it and understanding it, which is very different from any textbook or website or any resource like that. Absolutely. And and also those kind of operational decisions that we make, you know, we're trying to, we've, we've set ourselves a carbon positive target for 2030. Um, we run ourselves as a sustainable business. So we're constantly as an organization doing those, you know, making decisions where we're balancing our social and environmental impact and our economic demands and requirements, you know, and, and those tangible examples are really useful as well in terms, you know, this kind of uh, sustainability. Oh yeah. Like what is that actually? Um, And so, yeah, very particular things like, Oh, you know, look, we chose to sell this product in our shop rather than this product because, or, oh, have you noticed we don't sell any plastic bottles, drinks on our site? Let's talk about that. That was a decision that cost us nearly £100,000 of turnover. Um, you know, so so we've got those real tangible examples. My, um, my colleague, um, Joe, talks about Eden Project as kind of spaceship Eden, we get to be this little kind of, you know, we're like this little uh, module and mini ecosystem uh, of, you know, mini version of the world where we're trying out all of these ideas and trying to make it work within this kind of microcosm that is Spaceship Eden. And they would go, oh, look, we tried that here and it worked. How's that applicable in the wider world or in your life? And I guess the other thing which must be fascinating for people is the fact that of course, it depends on the age of the children and the sorts of, like say, the sorts of stories you're sharing. But the fact that how your interests and how your life develops can fit into that way of being. It's not I'm just going to create something which is sustainable. It's the fact that my passion is in, like I say, might be in finance. And it's like we're going to make this decision based on the ethics of what we're trying to do um, rather than just a, a practical numbers game and that kind of thing. And so realising that no matter where your passions take you in the area of work or, or the interest that you're doing, it can all fit in with when you've got this kind of idea is a platform for how you want to live your life and how you want to sort of donate and put your energies into the world to make it a better place. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think we hear increasingly talk about green jobs and that's great, but actually there's also the greening of all jobs, you know, and, um, and I think also, you know, schools certainly are a little bit behind the curve in terms of you know this is an example where actually business is ahead of the education system in terms of thinking what those careers and what those experiences of being in the workplace are going to look like in 10 20 30 years time but you know uh chill what are we in 2023 so yeah, you know, children—it's going to be in the working. Our net zero carbon target is going to have kicked in during the working life of children who are in schools at the moment. They are going to have to understand this stuff and be able to navigate it. 
and I think this is where my understanding and my excitement really in terms of community learning and by that I mean everybody that's involved in a child's experience while they're learning there there is the practical sort of inside the school grounds but I think the sorts of things that you're able to deliver as a community based on the sorts of experiences that you're able to share and and and, and all the sort of the the participants and, and the key people in a child's life they when they're that powerful when the story is that powerful when the experience of, of going to Eden is that powerful you know it's going to make a difference and they're going to start to start assess really kind of how they want to show up and what they want to say and, and how their how their sort of inner voice is going to be a really important guiding light to what that future looks like for them and how they're going to make that change. Absolutely. I, I had a really interesting conversation um, recently with, with a family member where I was talking about um, the work that that we do as being kind of related to much bigger ideas about what what a good life is what a life well lived what a successful life looks like and he was like well I thought he just did kind of sustainability education like well yeah but I I don't think it is just sustainability education because I don't think we can get where we need to be in terms of the planet without a fairly significant rethink about what we mean by success um and yeah i just uh, i just recently read a book called uh can we be happier by richard layard um which was good because it gave me a kind of acad- a more rigorous underpinning for my rather ill-formed ideas that actually a focus on happiness might be a better uh, better for us and the planet than a focus on GDP. Um, but yeah, if you want to read the actual expert uh, input on that, I highly recommend the Richard Layard book. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's the territory we're we're kind of touching on, um, and it and it's tough because you know we're all deeply embedded in a buy more, do more, be more society and it's a pretty radical act to go oh maybe maybe this isn't the way and i think also it's why the range of things you do is so important because as a child going to the eden project and going home and just going wow this has just given me so much you know thought insight you know, a feeling of, of, of wanting to do something different that may be, like I say, two hours out of an entire year's learning. And yes, it's going to be sort of blended into the curriculum and it's going to have a focus from the school from that point of view. But it's much more impactful when it has some kind of thread, like you say, running through the school because the school's decided not only is it part of the curriculum and the topic they want to cover, but it's also they're putting it in place within their environments of how they, of the things that you've discussed, the way that you're showing, the way that you're living as an organisation, which can just be replicated or be an inspiration to, to how any given school can actually take it. Like I say, based on on that sort of idea of we're going to show the world how we want to live and it's going to be based on all of the sorts of things we've spoken about rather than just the fact we had a budget meeting with the governors last week and we're not quite sure (laughs) what the future looks like and they're very difficult conversations i'm sure anyone involved in those decision makings um can understand but i think it like i say when it when is the when are those difficult conversations going to be the time to actually make the difference because as we know we're, we're running out of time from that that sort of sort of serious point 
yeah and and schools um you know that they, they have got such an opportunity both in terms of clearly as a learning organization but also as you know models for businesses as well you know i think there's a huge piece of work here and that schools and multi-academy trusts are really at um a scale that could be really impactful on this in terms of thinking about how they procure how they run their estate um how is that um you know that those bigger goals that might be stated in the curriculum how are they authentically manifested through the whole of that organization and that business because we know that teenagers especially but all children are very hot on calling out hypocrisy and rightly so you know and if on the one hand they're getting some nice lessons about looking after the planet and isn't climate change really scary and terrifying and on the other hand they're seeing the school as an organization take absolutely no meaningful action on that then um i kind of support them in being quite jaded and cynical about that really yeah and as a parent of people in that world i can completely identify with that and like i say they spot it a mile off and it's um yeah <laughs> there is no talking round because it is what it is and they see it very very clearly um in terms of of your school experience or a teacher that you remember um is there one that you'd like to share and i'm always interested in terms of of how that may have influenced um your work there and in terms of maybe how you sort of put some of those projects together yeah, I mean, I had a very kind of traditional, if you like, school experience. And I was, you know, geeky and keen to please and quite bright. And um, and so kind of that school really worked for me in that way. You know, they said, here, do a thing. And I did a thing and um, everybody was very pleased with everybody else. Um, and the teachers who kind of really stand out for for me, you know, Graham Lang was my A-level maths teacher. Sally Knight was my PE teacher through secondary school. Um, Miss New was our geography teacher. I was like, okay, so why, what is it about them? And actually they were like super committed to their subject and pretty straight and super committed to our success in their subject. So those are all secondary school teachers. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think um, it, it necessarily, you know, my, my, it was so traditional, my schooling really, really quite old fashioned, but I had these amazing opportunities kind of within that. So probably the most significant experience of my school experience was doing the 10 tools expedition twice so I did it when I was in um just before my O levels and in my lower sixth year which is a um big kind of outward bound type weekend long expedition across Dartmoor and actually in terms of shaping my relationship with the natural world my relationship with other people um my confidence in kind of myself and my abilities to overcome difficult things uh that was probably the single most useful bit of my school experience which interestingly didn't so i you know i came out with a a, a nice little bundle of high scoring a levels and went to a prestigious university where i 
uh, subsequently flunked my first year really, really badly. Um, because actually, I had I was the shining example of a fixed versus a growth mindset, Carol Dweck would say. Um, whereas, you know, I'd been really successful, I'd passed exams, I'd done the thing, I got to university, it was difficult, I had no, I had nothing. I had no strategies. And I was just like, Oh, they told me I was bright. And actually, turns out I wasn't, you know, classic kind of fixed mindset stuff. So yes, interestingly, that kind of successful school experience didn't at all set me up for a successful university experience in the first instance and I had to go through a fairly painful experience of uh, self-reflection and uh, hard work um, to to come out with a scraping a T1 at the end of it. I mean there's a whole other podcast there isn't there about you know the school had done its brilliant job because you'd managed to leave with everything it wanted for itself but maybe not giving you what you needed is the the person that they're there to educate and to inform and to help learn and uh, I always do find that fascinating <laughs> in, yeah. in terms of you know what what is the point of that and, and that sort of ties it a little bit like you said in terms of the future jobs and the way we're having conversations about what the the world is going to look like for anybody whether it's a, a job title or more importantly probably a way that you're working within the within whichever part of the society that happens to, to sort of fall for you yeah and you know thank goodness I did have that experience at university because how completely unbearable I I might be if I hadn't <laughs> but yeah it wasn't, wasn't particularly enjoyable at the time I have to say no. but I'd say a, a load of people that you know now who are really pleased for you in hindsight <laughs> um what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, is there a piece of advice you might give your younger self now, looking back? Best piece of advice I've ever been given. I was a waitress in Solcombe the summer after my A-levels, um, earning money to go travelling in... Um, I went to work in Pakistan, actually, uh, to teach in Pakistan. So earning money to do that. Um, and a random restaurant customer who I'd obviously told some of this story said to me define your terms for success and I just love that as a piece of advice no idea who he was he's certainly got no idea that that uh, throwaway line landed with me um, but I think you know particularly in a crazy super fast world that um is throwing images and is images of success at us constantly um and i think you know we when we're really asked what makes us happy and what's important to us we're pretty good at answering the question but i don't think we're very good at then matching our lives to the answers we've given to that question necessarily um, so yeah, I, I, I have found that one a useful touchstone to return to over and over again. Yeah, I love that. And I love that follow on that you said as well, like say the reality of, of how that looks and what you then do with it. And, uh, and, and I, and I think that duality of the kind of, I know this in myself and I want to do that as opposed to, but then there's all these other people in all the other parts of society that may not agree, or how do I fit it in with the reality of having to live and, yeah, like I said, well, there's a, there's a third podcast we can do and <laughs> go back and talk about that one. Um, I, I know you mentioned the book just earlier on, but is there any other resource you'd like to share? And that could be anything 
from a podcast video film song but something that had an impact or something that you remember yeah I, I I've been thinking about this and I think um there so the first ever book that I read about this stuff this work that I now do um was Joseph Cornell sharing nature with children which is a really old book like 1979 it was published so it was already kind of you know 10 12 years old when I read it in my 20s um but I think that was the first um inkling that I had that there was a job in this kind of thing you know something about education and children and young people and nature that 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 was even a thing and there might be a kind of club of people that I could be a part of for whom that was their thing so um it it's a golden oldie um but it's still really really good stuff and yeah it was my my ticket to enter the uh, the nature educators club I love it. And we'll have links to these things on the show notes for anyone listening, so you better click straight through. Um, and the acronym FIRE is important, obviously, here at Education on Fire. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment. What is it that springs to mind or, or immediately um, takes your interest with those those four words? It's really tricky. Um, so I think I'll probably take it back to nature rather than a person. You know, I was really, really lucky that I had that experience at a a young age of spending 48 hours trudging across Dartmoor carrying a really heavy rucksack. Um, and... But actually, nature is, you know, or time outdoors is what gives me those things. It what it's what gives me resilience. Um, it what it's what keeps me on track in terms of my own well-being. I need to be moving outdoors. Basically, that's my happy place. Um, and it's also what kind of fires me up to keep on doing this work and keep on thinking that it's important and worthwhile and all of those things because I want you know, I want it to be there. God, it's, it, you know, it's what, what's the, um, the, the uh, Attenborough program that's out. There's a terrifying insect stat. 60% of our flying insects lost in 20 years. Like wow. that's since I've been a grown up, that's not even in my life, you know? Um, so yeah, I really, really want for, the planet's benefit and for the benefit of uh, the human beings on it i'd really like it still to be there in another 20 years time um, indeed and i think that's a perfect place to finish because i think we're all in that we're all in that position of, of wanting that and i think um the things that we've managed to talk about and the things that you've been able to share i think give us that kind of real practical and emotional connection and understanding that we can make a difference and we can share that and we can embody that for our our sort of younger generation to go through and empower them to do what they know is right as opposed to like say what they may be perceived to be the case through through those sorts of conversations that they have within the education system and their community at large and the more we can 
in, empower them and encourage them to to follow their dreams, I think we'll be I think we'll be fine. We just need to make sure that enough people hear that and feel like they can actually take that on board. So Sam, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of that understanding and that wisdom. And um, yeah, keep up the amazing work and hopefully we can get many, many more children to get that experience. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.